Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. I always get a kick out of that intro. That's the voice of my co producer and the VP of everything at World Talk Radio Voice America, Ryan Treasure. Thank you, Ryan, for the wonderful intro. This is Technology Revolution, the Future of Now. And I have such an exciting topic for you today. I'm going to read a quote from an article I found called in Engineering the Future of Creativity, How Technology is Revolutionizing Art. And art is the key word about our show today. So listen up. This is an, an article from 2019, just last year, at techspective.net. And they say that technology has created more accessible tools for the production of art. It has changed the arena of self-expression and accelerated the process of art funding and distribution. So let me give you a couple of examples also from the article. The artist's palette reaches beyond paint. We all know painting, beyond brushes, beyond pencils and stencils. I think that rhymes to include 3D printers. Here's an example. Artist A.L. Giver, Gever, G-E-V-E-R, is working with scientists at NASA to create visualizations of human laughter. Think about how do you visualize laughter, hashtag laugh, that will be 3D printed on the International Space Station. How amazing is that? And technology is redefining what we know as the artist's canvas. There's something called the Bjork Digital Traveling Exhibition. It uses VR, that's virtual reality, and music to create a personalized experience that connects people to art. We all want to connect with art. Think about the last time you could go to a museum. You sat on a bench and you looked at all these beautiful works of art, sculptures and paintings and oils and, and even jewelry exhibitions, whatever it was. And you said, what does that say to me? What does that mean to me? You wanted to connect. Art is nothing unless you connect with it. And now you have more ways to do it. The internet is also disrupting the distribution of art. It can be produced and distributed all over the world beyond what's known as the realm of the elite or the exceptionally talented. That means, hey, galleries might be closed and we're going to find out from some of our panelists today, but virtually you can go see art anytime you want. So we have uh, a bunch of panelist experts here with me. We have artist, I'm calling her Dr. Lucy Marlowe, who is going to smile for me on camera. Lucy, I want you to smile. There she is. She and I have been friends for a couple months, and Lucy graciously put together this panel for us. We have gallery owner Jason Horsch, and he told me his last name rhymes with Porsche, even though it's spelled H-O-R-E-J-S. Go figure that one. He'll explain it. We have sculptor and gallery owner Philip Payne with us. And we're trying to get, let's see, we may have one more person and a gallery consultant with us, but for right now, that's our panel. So welcome, I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Exciting show ahead, and let's get started with the introductions. Lucy Marlowe, am I going to call you Dr. Marlowe for the whole show, or do you just want to be Lucy? Lucy is perfect with me. Thank you, Bonnie. <laughs> okay, Lucy, would you do me the honor, please, of taking about two and a half minutes? We're not clocking you. My engineer, Aaron, is a very well-behaved young man, and he's not going to throw you off the show if you go to three minutes. But in case there's somebody, I know you're known all over the world, Lucy, would you please tell everybody what you do, a little bit about your art background, and what's your passion for the future of art and technology? Lucy, go ahead. Uh, for the last 19 years, I paint for a living. I'm still afraid to pinch myself when I say that. I sold my practice to pursue my passion. 
And uh, the way I found the balance between my two words, worlds is by fundraising uh, and still donating money to research because I can't forget about what I know. So most day I'm having a lot of fun. Uh, what makes me really passionate about this particular subject is change is an essential part of evolution. If we're not growing, a part of us is dying. And change can certainly be both intimidating but also very exhilarating. Uh, we live in a time where we're witnessing the impossible become possible in so many facets from medicine to art. So very exciting time to be alive. Lucy, we're very excited to have you. And, and you and I met several months ago. Did I meet you at the National Publicity Summit, the virtual summit? Yes. I met you, yes. Um, I use that as a source for one of my other radio shows, Read My Lips Radio. And I met Lucy and I was so enthralled with how engaged you are with art and how how vivacious you are and the fact that you're producing art on commission all over the world. And Lucy, do you, do you agree with the opening article I read, the snippets I read about how technology is changing art in every possible way? Do you think? Absolutely. Uh, my nephew, who's working on his PhD on this subject, told me the same thing over coffee. It's a very exciting time to see art become accessible, uh, to see us able to reach galleries all over the world. In fact, thanks to my stepkids who made me get with the program, quote unquote, on Instagram, I had a call from a gallery in Vienna, something that would have been impossible before without packing up my art and traveling halfway across the world. So very exciting. Wow. Wow. Well, social media rocks and rolls. I will tell everybody we do have a fourth panelist. Lynn Marks is joining us and she's going to be on the phone today, but Lynn will be our fourth. So let's go to my second guest, Jason Horst. Jason, you have to explain the last name. And Jason, I know you're the, you're the owner of Xanadu Gallery. I love the name of your gallery. So why don't you introduce Thank yourself you. in case there are maybe two people in the world who don't know who you are. I know your you name. Sure. Go ahead. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Bonnie. And uh, yes, so um, Horsch, my last name is Czech. And when my great-great-grandfather hit Ellis Island, they looked, took one look at his last name, started chopping out consonants, and that was what we were left with. Um, but uh, I am second generation in the art business. My father is a painter. Uh, he's been a full-time professional painter for over 40 years now. Um, and he is also the father, he and my mother are, are parents of nine children. Um, and so I grew up in a, uh, a, a pretty crazy household where my father was really working hard to uh, make a living for a large family. Um, I, being the oldest of his children, I grew up during the starving artist phase of his career and decided pretty early on that uh, art was, was not the world for me. Um, but uh, as I was an adolescent, my father was beginning to experience some success in his career, uh, starting to show in galleries across the country. And I really fell in love with the art business. And uh, when I was 17, I got a job in a large Western art gallery in Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, sold my first painting and knew that I would found my vocation in life. I love being at that nexus where uh, art lovers are being able to experience and connect with artwork and bring it into their lives and be able to help them in that process. Um, in uh, 1998, I got married. Uh, my wife also has a great love for the art. She uh, has a background in public relations, but had interned in an art museum. Um, so it was clear to both of us that our future together was going to be in the art world. And that being the case, we decided to open our own gallery. Uh, did that in 2001. And from the very beginning, 
we knew, um, you know, we were kind of uh, coming into the business world during the height of the dot-com boom. We knew that we wanted to incorporate technology in what we were doing. Um, we were one of the first galleries to have um, our entire inventory available on our website, updated in real time. Um, and ever since then, we've really been, been working to take advantage of all the amazing technology tools that have become available, social media, um, uh, all of the different uh, services that can help a, an, uh, any business, but especially an art business, grow and thrive. And then also we've really worked to um, uh, reach out beyond um, just what a traditional gallery might do in terms of showing and selling work and make strong connections into the art world. Um, so I do a lot of outreach to artists. I've written several books to help artists uh, take advantage of, of um, business opportunities and technology and help them that way. And it's just created a great synergy for our gallery. Thank you, Jason. A pleasure to meet you. And obviously, technology is part of what you do. And it's not just incidental because of COVID. And Absolutely. I think there's there, there may be a, a concept around the world that, well, we have to go to a gallery virtually. Well, we have to go and, and see. And maybe we won't see all the nuances and the lighting and, and the feeling. But this technology has been around for a while and it just may be more used now and more useful now, Absolutely. but it has been coming for a while. Thank you, Jason. Let's go to our third panelist, Philip Payne. He's a second generation sculptor. I want to know exactly what that means. Philip, welcome. So nice to see you. We are on Zoom. And why don't you, there might be two and a half people around the world who don't know who you are yet. So <laughs> Philip Payne, why don't you speak to them and tell them who you are? Welcome and go ahead. Thank you very much. My name is Philip. Um, I am, like you said, second generation artist. My dad was sculptor Ken Payne, um, who was the kind of the starter of precast sculpting or live sculpting in Arizona. I'm one of the very first artists to start doing that in Sedona. And so I grew up with, and I, a lot like Jason, I'm, I'm second generation, but I'm on the other end. I'm the youngest. <laughs> so uh, my dad was 50 when I was born, so I didn't really have to deal with the starting artist phase. I just got to go straight into, wow, you can be really successful as an artist. <laughs> so um, by the time I was 15, I did my first sculpture, um, and it sold really well. I was able to buy my first car, um, and I just knew that, and I'm very extroverted. I love, I'm not like an introverted sculptor who likes to sit in his studio. I like being around people, so I took on that concept that my dad had created of sculpting live and um, at 19 I opened my first little art gallery in Santa Fe and just started sculpting and making friends and um, now I have a gallery in Scottsdale close to close to Jason's uh, honored to be close <laughs> and um, and just having so much fun just trying to make art and uh, tell stories um, that's to me what art has always been about is the story and so that, that's something my dad proved really well with the different compositions he made and it's a tradition I'm trying to keep going. Philip, thank you. Absolutely fascinating. <laughs> you said you, you bypassed the starving artist era. Tell me something. When you say sculpture, what are you sculpting in? I know very little. I know we see bronze. We see marble. We see plaster. I know nothing about it. So just give us a quick clue. What kinds of, is the word media, mediums? I don't know what the word is. <laughs> I think it's medium, but I, I, so I, I finish them out as bronze sculptures. Um, they, they start as clay, and then it's actually... Technologically, it's a 32-step process from the clay to the bronze. Um, it's known as the lost wax casting process, and it goes back almost 3,000 years. hasn't changed much, but as we're talking about today, it's starting to for the first time in two, 3,000 years. So it's, it's really an exciting time to be a sculptor because there's tools 
that are available to us now that have net for thousands of years haven't been an option. So it's um, but yeah, it's all finished bronze sculpture and it starts in clay. So. Thank you very much. And technology is that impacting you? Virtual reality? Are you using any of that, or are you showing more virtually uh, from your gallery, able to communicate with people through virtual classes, perhaps? Or how is tech working with you right now? I'm I'm trying to adapt. I'm a very analog person by nature, <laughs> but um, we we are working to get more and more of the stories told digitally, so that people can have the same experience that they have when they visit, um, when they can't visit. So when they can visit. There's the key. And we have our fourth panelist. We are so happy to welcome Lynn Marks. Lynn is an art consultant. I know she's in California. Lynn is with us by phone. We saw her beautiful face before. We didn't get an audio connection, but we've got her on the phone. So Lynn Marks, welcome. And why don't you please introduce yourself to our audience? Lynn. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I am here in California where it's very early. So um, my gallery's not open yet. So my Technology is my iPhone, and obviously I need help because I can't see anybody, but I'm happy to be here. And I've been with uh, Gallery Michael as an art consultant for 23 years. Uh, So I work with 19th and 20th century artists. So when I get to interact with a living artist, it's very exciting. Uh, We do have a few living artists that we represent because the old master works are kind of, you know, the well is running dry, so to speak, but um, it's, it's fun to tell the stories um, and kind of be the eyes for people who don't know some of the artists that I, you know, deal with, and um, we've had to go into using technology to reach out, um, you know, during the shutdown, so it's been a very interesting transition working remotely Um, and actually being able to communicate that way and still place art into collections. So um, I'm very excited about technology for many reasons. And uh, the artist has a tool here that they can really expand their markets because not only can they create things with 3D, which is actually taking, I mean, to become a sculptor, and I have great respect for sculptors and painters because it's so much hard work. Some of these tools would take all of that work out because sketches can become 3D. You know, it's without all of the corrections and everything, and it's a faster process. And um, although you can never take away what they do, it, it allows exposure to make things in multiples for people who would love to have, you know, a work of art by a well-known artist or a very creative, good artist, and um, they deserve the exposure that you can get from technology. So I'm all for it. Very well put. Thank you, Lynn, and we're very happy to have you here, and thanks for being brave enough to try several times to join us (laughs) talking about technology. Here we are. So thank you, Lynn. (laughs) Now we're going to go around the table, and we're going to go to the part of the show where I've asked my panelists to send me a quote. In most cases, it has absolutely nothing to do with the topic. I'll read the quote, a little bit about the background, and I'll ask them to take about two minutes to explain why they picked the quote and what it has to do with our topic. And Dr. Lucy Marlowe was up for Lucy sent me a quote from Pablo Picasso. She just couldn't resist Pablo Ruiz Picasso, 1881 to 1973, Spanish painter, sculptor, printmaker, ceramicist, and theater designer who spent most of his adult life in France, regarded as one of the most influential artists of the 20th century. He co-founded the Cubist 
movement, the invention, Philip, of constructed sculpture, the co-invention of collage. I use collage in a lot of my artworks and the wide variety of styles he helped develop and explore. He's best known for Les Demoiselles d'Avignon, 1907, Guernica, 1937, and all kinds of other wonderful artwork. And here is the quote Lucy has. Lucy, I want you to smile. You're on video. I want to see that beautiful smile. Lucy sent this quote from Pablo Picasso. Every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist once he, Alad or she, grows up. Lucy, talk to me. Beautiful quote. What does it mean for our topic today? Go ahead. I couldn't resist this quote because I just think it's so true of uh, the passion enjoyment of life. I always jokingly say that if we take ourselves too seriously, it has a funny way of taking the fun out of life. And children are always so in the moment. And so I used to paint with children. That's one of my favorite things to do and still do on occasion. Grab about 20 of them, have cookies or pizza in the oven and have them all on my drop seat. And you should see them come alive. So this quote rang very true to my heart. And uh, I think it's relevant in the sense that no matter where we are, especially during challenging times like this, it's important to keep the inner child alive. I love that. And do you think, Lucy, that inner child is enjoying the new options of technology? I mentioned that the canvas is expanding, the media are expanding, uh, 3D printing is an option now, virtual showing are an option. Do you think that the child in us is being awakened by the, I won't say the advent of technology, but the incorporation of new technology into the world of art? What do you think? I would have to say absolutely to that because every time you expand, artists are creative, they're creative beings. And every time you expand the palette or the possibility, it's very exciting to open up new paths of creating. So I think absolutely. Thank you very much. Let's go around the table. Our next panelist to speak on quotes is Jason Horsch. He sent us a quote from JFK, John F. Kennedy, 1917 to November 22nd, 1963, a day that many of us will never, ever, ever forget. American politician, 35th president of the U.S. from January 61 until his assassination in November 63. He served at the height of the Cold War. He was a Democrat representing Massachusetts in the U.S. House of Representatives, and Camelot has to do with the Kennedys. Yes, here's the quote Jason has selected. For time and the world do not stand still. Change is the law of life. And those who look only to the past or the present are certain to miss the future. And Jason, why don't you explain that? It's so interesting that you picked this quote because the name of the show is Technology Revolution, the Future of Now, Now, yeah. Now, Now, Now. Go ahead. Yeah, I, you know, um, and, and especially for us in the art world, we, we spend a lot of time looking to the past. Um, you know, art is infused with history um, and and each artist is building on the legacy of the artists who came before them. Uh, but I think this, this, this quote really speaks to the importance of not only looking back and, and not only being stuck in the moment, but to dreaming about the future and, and looking forward to the possibilities that are ahead of us. Um, and, and we see so many great examples looking into the past of artists who have had this kind of vision where um, they haven't been satisfied to um, uh, simply uh, repeat what was done before them. They've been willing to, to uh, break through and do things that were um, untried and untested. They were often criticized for it. And we see that same spirit of, uh, you know, I kind of think of it as a heroism among artists who are willing to um, uh, break new frontiers. 
Um, and, and in our day and age, um, you, you know, we all have that opportunity, um, artists, those of us who are in the business and those who appreciate art to be taking advantage of uh, new opportunities to experience life and experience art in new and different ways. And um, uh, it's an exciting time to be alive and see those changes happening and to be looking to the, the future. Thank you, Jason. Very apropos quote. I like to get a little French in there now and then. Thank you very much. Philip Payne waiting eagerly for me to get to his quote. Philip has selected a quote from Dr. Seuss. We love quotes from movies and children's books and songs. Theodore Seuss, uh, Ted, he was called Geisel, 1904 to 1991. Hard to believe he's been gone that long. American children's author, political cartoonist. I didn't know that. Illustrator, poet, animator, screenwriter, and filmmaker. They had such interesting bios in those days. You know, today, we don't say we're blah, 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 and, and list eight or nine or ten things we do. We give long stories in our bios, but I think I'm going to go through an exercise of everything I've ever done and make it one sentence, and that'll be enough. He's known for his work and illustrating more than six 60 books under the pen name Dr. Seuss. His work included many of the most popular children's books of all time. Get this. He's only sold a mere 600 million copies. He's only been sold as, and translated into more than 20 languages by the time he passed away in 1991. And his first book was, And to Think That I Saw It on Mulberry Street in 1937. I'm just going to leave that alone. He actually went on to do uh, animation and films for the U.S. Army. I didn't even know that. Here's the quote Philip has selected from Dr. Seuss. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your own and you know what you know. And you are the one who will decide where to go. I love the quote. Philip, how'd you find this one? This is a good one. Well, in, in my gallery, Anticus, we, we get to work with the art of Dr. Seuss. So I've become a huge fan of of all of his work and getting to know his collection and all of that. Um, and I just, I think being a second generation sculptor, um, I don't know, and, and just growing up in the art world, you hear a lot of artists sometimes say that everything's already been done. Mm -hmm. And so they just, they develop a way of being comfortable saying that, you know, oh, well, it's all been done. Yes, I'm repeating. And they, and you can kind of get into a comfort level with that. But I love when this quote, when he says, you have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. You don't have to go down that path that's already been traveled. You don't have to. You there because we always say everything's been done until all of a sudden someone's doing something that hadn't been done before. <laughs> it's um you know because then it's like oh wait I don't know why I didn't think of that and I think Dr. Seuss was such a great example of that. Yes. Um, the way he took and had all of those words been written before. Yeah, I, the, he didn't invent new words or actually no, eventually he did, but. Initially, he, he was just putting them together in unique ways, but he was creating something that never existed. And um, actually, the name of our gallery is Anticus, which means staying in front. Or it's from Semper Anticus, always in front, always forward. And so it's, um, it's really important to me that the artists here and the artists that I work with, and myself especially as an artist, that I maintain that courage and I, and I acknowledge the fact that inside each and every single one of us, we have that ability to pick the path and know what you know and decide where you want to go as an artist. Thank you. You've introduced so many interesting concepts right there. And your quote and, and keeping the child alive reminds me of the Picasso quote that Lucy brought us. We discussed a few minutes ago the concept of storytelling. But, Philip, you mentioned the word courage. 
there has to be courage, right? If you're an artist, the courage to say, I have a way of looking at the world, at life, at something, and it's my way. And you may or may not appreciate it, but I'm going to give it to you as a gift. I'm going to present it to you, whether you're in my gallery, whether you're seeing it in a magazine, whether you're seeing it virtually, right? I'm going to share with you. I have the courage to say I have something to say through my art. And I, I haven't heard the word courage linked to art maybe ever. And I'm looking at reactions here. Jason is nodding and Lucy is smiling like, yup, it takes courage. But I also wanted to mention to you that that at the closing of this show, I will say if people tell you the future is already here and I say, no, it's not. That was yesterday's future. We're all helping to create this future, the future of now. It didn't happen yet. Get over it. So thank you. You brought up a lot of those points in your quote, and I appreciate that, Philip. I'm I'm agreeing with you. I'm not wagging my finger at you. <laughs> I'm, I get excited. Now we're going to go to Lynn Marks's quote. Lynn is with us again on the phone, and Lynn has sent us a quote from Dame Anita Roddick. No relation to Andy Roddick, the tennis player, I was told when I looked up her bio. It's from her book, Numbers. Numbers is a collection of some of the most peculiar, shocking, and hilarious numbers that shape our world, co-written by Anita Roddick and David Boyle. Anita Roddick, 1942 to 2007, was a British businesswoman, human rights activist, and environmental campaigner, best known as the founder of The Body Shop, a cosmetics company producing and retailing natural beauty products that shaped ethical consumerism. And interestingly enough, she did so well that L'Oreal bought her company in 2006 for $562 million British pounds. There you go. I never heard of her. Here's the quote Lynn has selected. Numbers are peculiar animals. They can unlock secrets, split atoms, reveal the inner workings of people and machines, or draw patterns of outstanding complexity and beauty. Lynn, love the quote. Talk to me. How does this have to relate? How does this relate to our topic, please? It relates in the way where technology and art come together. They're they're the same. It's it's science and creativity. They're the same. They belong together. And the, the more we roll out what the future brings as an extension of an artist's creative model, uh, the closer they'll become. In other words, it, it won't be a fad anymore. It won't be something. It's going to be bigger. It's going to come together. And I think numbers I've been fascinated with for a long time, even though I'm terrible in math, um, I love numbers. I like numerology, and I see numbers all the time. And um, I think <clears throat> Salvador Dali had a science-based mind as well as a master painter. He was, he was very fascinated with becoming a master. He was driven to paint as good as he could as far as his you know, technical ability. He was driven. He had very strange ways of, of you know, getting his masterpieces the way he wanted them. And he physically jumped around and so the paint wouldn't dry. He had a spring that he used on the bottom of his foot and he could jump and, and get that painting across the surface fast. So he was physically active. But the numbers came in inventions. He had all of these inventions in mind. And he would work them out in his artwork. Uh, there was a series he did called Imaginations and Objects of the Future. And he actually drew his ideas in a little etching. And then from another studio, he created lithography to add in what this little drawing was going to look like. And actually, he was ahead of his time. He did these in the 70s, 1975. 
and it took him five years to come up with ten different images. And some of them were are really close. I mean, there was something he did was a shower could come to you through uh, taking a computer and have a drone come over your head and then drop water down over you. And he had a time machine ball that he created. He actually got in it. And there were some, you know, um, there were some things that actually he was missing some of the components, but he had the vision in the 70s for things that are, you know, we're using now. Um, he just kind of had the seeds of creation going on there. So I think, to me, it, it just represents the collaboration of science and art together as one. And they can create wonderful beauty. And I think it goes beyond just, you know, our thoughts go beyond. Our consciousness is bigger than we have in our mind. And I think these are the tools that are going to get us there together and, and share with the world. Thank you, Lynn. Absolutely fascinating, and I'm, I'm glad you brought Dolly into the discussion. We couldn't talk about art without including Salvador Dolly, so thank you very much. Everybody <laughs> is smiling. Lynn, I'm so sorry you're not on video with us because we saw you just before, and it looked like you were we, – we just are sorry we can't see you, but I'm glad we can hear you. Now is the part of the show where we go to the predictions. That's what it's all about, the future of now. I've asked my guests to send me four predictions each, and we won't make this necessarily a roundtable. I'll read one prediction from Lucy Marlowe and then one from Jason Horsch, one from Philip Payne and one from Lynn Marks. But panelists, if you hear a prediction that you want to comment on, just raise your hand or dive in before I go to the next one. Even though we're not going to make it a roundtable for discussion, feel free or reference back and forth if you want to take notes. So let's get started here. Let's see how many we can do in the next ooh, 24 minutes. So here's Dr. Lucy Marlowe's top prediction number one. She says, in the future, Artists will have to have an understanding of computer programs and not just their craft. Lucy, I want you to comment on your own prediction. We'll do this around the table. Go ahead, Lucy. What do you say? I find this one really interesting because I love the history of art and I almost feel like it's a return of Renaissance in the sense that painters in Renaissance had to have uh, multiple understandings, not just their craft, not just their ability, but they had to understand anatomy. Uh, like Lynn said, mathematics. And uh, these days, artists will have to understand computers and algorithms. So they will have to be multifaceted in order to keep growing. Thank you very much. Uh, does that require artists to go back to school if they didn't cut their teeth on, on digital technology, <laughs> which a lot of people didn't? Lucy, what do you think? Is there a training program for wayward artists who don't know how to use tech? What do you think? Should you start possibly, or <laughs> possibly, although I do have really cool stepkids and nephews that are helping me every step of the way. So that works too. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Thank you very much. Let's go to Jason Horse, your first. Did some, you want to say something, Philip? Does he yeah. Yeah, go I, ahead. I wanted, to, I wanted to say one thing that, and while we do have to get more knowledge about technology, and, and I completely agree with that, art is very, to me, it's very much about that pursuit of mastery. And so a an artist who really is passionate about just putting the paint on the canvas can, can develop partnerships with people who are great in technology and mastering that. And a lot of times they'll do a lot better by partnering, say, with a gallery or with somebody who is really great at the technological part of it, and they focus on their own mastery. So partnerships can be a way for artists to 
ameliorate this lack of um, technology education. <laughs> Philip, one of my many business radio shows is called The Power of Partnerships, Changing the Game in Digital Transformation. I think we just had, courtesy of you, Philip Payne, an idea for an extension. Today, we have businesses trying to survive through the pandemic that are pivoting, they're fluid, they're agile, and they're saying, well, we used to produce bourbon, now we're going to do hand sanitizer. We used to produce fire parts, now we're going to make masks and PPE. But one of the theories of, of uh, the power of partnership on a business level, on an enterprise level, if you will, is that you can do what they call a co-petition. You can compete, you can partner with competitors to come up with new innovations that neither one of you was either prepared for, neither one of you saw, or neither one of you is positioned to do by putting heads together and coming up with new ways of doing business. So thank you for bringing that up. That was- Yeah, and, and Bonnie, if I could hop in too, please, just, Jason. just yes, quickly. I think another aspect of the, the, te the, the technology revolution, um, you, you know, when we hear someone say, oh, you've got to learn about computers and how, that all sounds kind of scary, but the, but the revolution is that technology has really been democratized over the last 10, 15 years where things that were really challenging and complicated and complex have become um, so simple that um, even a child or even an artist or even a gallery owner can very easily do very complex things um, using tools that, um, you know, technology wizards have simplified to such a level that it makes it just simple for us to incorporate those tools into our daily life. And, um, you know, that's just incredibly powerful for all of us to have access to that, uh, that technology. Thank you. Good comments around. Let's go to Jason. Uh, you just spoke, Jason Horsch. I'm looking at your prediction number one. I like this one. You say art galleries foster relationships between collectors and artists using technology. And you add, uh, you predict more galleries will host virtual shows and meet and greets using online video conference tools like Zoom, which we're using, and meetings. Then post and share these events on social media and YouTube. This will bring the art experience to new audiences around the world. Why don't you expand this for us, Jason, please? Go yeah, ahead. well, I think that, um, as you mentioned in the intro to the show, um, the, the current situation, the pandemic, the lockdowns, um, have pushed many of us, um, and I include myself in this, to have become more creative. Um, and, and we certainly in our gallery have done some virtual events uh, that have invited artists from around the world and collectors to come together virtually online. And um, it, it's just this, this inflection point, I think, where, um, you know, yes, we understand that technology is important. We want to use it. Well, now we're being forced to use it in a way. Um, and it's, uh, it's opening a lot of new vistas. And I've had several instances over the last few months where I've said to myself, boy, that was great. Why have we not done this before? It was easy. Um, people loved it, um, and, and, and why didn't we, we could have done it a year ago, but we didn't, um, and, and so I think that coming out of this, our eyes will all have been opened um, to say, hey, there are all these great opportunities, um, rather than just doing things the way we have always done them, let's look for new um, avenues to create those kinds of connections, and it really is um, you know, as Philip was saying, um, it's so much about storytelling, and I feel it's about relationships. And so if we can find new ways to foster those narratives and those relationships using technology, um, we all come out the other side better for it. Thank you, Jason. I've been saying to my kicking myself for not going to Zoom for all my radio shows two years ago. Why did I wait for the pandemic to say, hey, maybe we should be looking at each other? I've been doing radio on the phone for 
20 years for the last 10 years business shows and always I had to pick up on the nuances of the voice with somebody ready to end a sentence were they taking a pause because they were thinking or because they were done and did somebody want to jump in like Philip raised his hand before I couldn't see that and I'm wondering why I didn't do radio on Zoom two years ago exactly it was all there. So thank you for that. Philip Payne, I'm looking at your prediction number one. This is an interesting one. You say the continuing development of 3D printing will continue to adjust the sculpture world in a positive way. It allows an artist to essentially create, I'm going to use the French word, I hope it's right, giclés of his 3D sculptures, casting to different sizes. I'm just going to stop there and let you, as the sculptor in residence on our show today, tell us what the rest of this prediction is. Go ahead, Philip. So in, in sculpture, just to give you a little background, when you sculpt a piece, if you want it in the past, if you wanted it in two different sizes, you sculpted it twice. Um, and so like you'd go into a gallery and they'd have a little study that they did and then they'd have a lot of, they usually referred to as the masterwork. And you'd see the masterwork and they'd say, oh, well, how do you make it bigger? And it's funny because the brain, the human brain, what, when I was 10 years old, people were already imagining that we could somehow print these out in different sizes. And... <laughs> It wasn't possible then, but, but people assumed it was because of the sculpting. And, um, and so now to actually live in a world where that's possible is just, it's almost insane. But um, so it's interesting that a lot of artists now are sculpting in a larger size um, because you can do more detail and then you can print, you use 3D printing to get smaller sizes. Of course, um, you, if you do something small and you try to make it larger, it's a lot like trying to blow up a photo that doesn't have enough. Uh, megapixels, right? You know, it's, it's just going to get grainy and ugly and it, and it distorts. And so um, we're seeing a lot more artists working from large to small rather than small to large, which and it has a big effect even in what will be created and what people are willing to experiment with. And then especially as they have those options of 3D printing, they can experiment with more elements of sculpture that before, you know, an artist because you have to put so much time and so much expense into creating a sculpture that the experimentation has been minimal. You, you have to put your time and money into what you hope will make rent. <laughs> and so now with the invention and, and especially as 3D printing becomes more economical, um, because it's still very expensive, mm -hmm. um, but as it becomes more economical, I think you're going to see a lot more experimentation happening in sculpture, which is a really exciting time to be in that field because it's something like the different styles of forms and things like that. It's just there's there haven't been many sculptors um, by comparison to painters or you know sketch artists things like that, and so it's it's important to, that it keeps evolving. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I, I have a quick question for you, Philip, while you're talking about that. When you say printing, 3D printing a sculpture that was large originally in a smaller size, what, what do you print it 3D in? Is it in plastic? Is it in metal? I don't know. I've, I've seen 3D printers um, at so work. But right now, we're mostly seeing the printing happening in resin or plastic okay. or even wax. Um, uh -huh. um, foam is also a, a big one, but the detail that you get in foam is, is very non-existent, very minimalist. And uh, it's, it's the most cost effective, but you, so you, a lot of times we'll print up in foam and then we'll go in and re-sculpt and add detail. But if you want to maintain detail, then you can print in smaller things like plastic. 
Absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much. And Lynn Marks, I'm reading your prediction number two, because we've already covered 3D, which was your first prediction with Philip just now. So Lynn's second prediction is digital art can use virtual reality and music, which I mentioned in my opening, to create an engaging and personalized experience to connect with art. It will be more experiential than static viewing. Lynn Marks, please tell us more about this very interesting prediction. What do you see? Well, when you can go through a device into and inside a work of art, you're going to see everything differently. It's going to be a different emotional experience. And even though, you know, the artist has created this whole beautiful realm, you're able to look at it from every angle, which is something that's going to, you know, emote, and you're going to have an emotional response. Whether you know the artist or not, you'll have your own because you're inside of it. And also when they they combine it with music and design, um, it opens the senses. You can hear the music and you're watching this beautiful visual, um, you know, environment and it just kind of spikes everything. Everything's in tune. Um, And there are some artists that I know that actually were art teachers, I mean music teachers, and they can see color when they hear a very good composer play the music, they see color and they will work together in that level, which is very fascinating because they actually inspire a particular color uh, from that person. So there's so many things you can combine. Um, even a very simple uh, thing that happened to me in the gallery, there was a young man that came in looking at everything for quite a while. He had sunglasses on. And he walked around and he walked around and then he came up to me after he had viewed a painting that was a palette knife painting. It was very textured. It was, you know, thick, thick paint. He came over and said, you have to look at the art with this. I have 3D glasses on. He said, you're not going to believe what it's like walking through a gallery with these glasses on. So Mm. I walked over, I put them on and literally the layers popped out and you could almost touch them almost when you go to the you know the theater and you watch uh, movies at IMAX you could actually separate the colors and see them floating around in front of your eyes and it was just a simple little pair of you know glasses (laughs) and so it it stopped me in my tracks and I looked at that painting for a long time and and never saw that side of it so you're you're able to you know a process there that the artist saw before he added all those layers. Uh, And, you know, this is something that is so fascinating, even looking through infinity mirrors and um, some of those exhibitions where um, you could experience yourself inside a mirror. It's fascinating, and you can't stop looking at it, and it takes you away. You know, you're almost in a meditation state when you're looking at something that concentrated when you're right inside something, it has all of your focus. You're rarely thinking of other things while you're walking through that world. So I, I'm excited about it. I just think it's, it's amazing. And it's a great tool and there is collaboration. Um, mm-hmm. Companies are there to help an artist do this. They work together. And so it, it, it's, it's wonderful. You meet a whole new group of people, too, which is always fascinating. I, I love that about the gallery. It's just the relationships. It's, it's true. Those are so wonderful. So you always want to be able to reach out and 
you know, meet someone and hear their views and, you know, and what a wonderful group you are. It's so positive. I feel so, so enlightened talking and hearing all of you. Lynn, I love your example. Absolutely love it. Philip wants to say something. Go ahead, Philip. This is art. It has better resolution than the real, than real life. <laughs> I, I loved Lynn in your prediction you said experiential versus static and I'm thinking I think early in the show I said walking through a museum and you just walk and say okay how many floors can I I'm, I was in New York for the past 32 years I grew up in New York at, at, on Long Island but went to museums and you go to museums okay how many galleries can we visit and how many floors and do I like that painting okay well let's talk about it with the person I'm with well they're hungry they want to go have lunch and maybe there's a crowd and there's a guided tour and we're not in the tour. Can we join our the tour? And if we're standing in the back and the tour guide says, did you pay? Are you part of our tour? No, we didn't. Oh, well, please leave. This is, they paid for this. And I remember all of those experiences. But if you put on that headset and you're able to see those glasses and you're able to see, you wouldn't want to go. You would want to have your lunch brought to you. Who needs to eat when you're having this food for thought when art becomes <laughs> Art becomes brain food, right? And and heart food. It's opening up your heart, your mind. What a what a beautiful idea. This is really something whose time has come. It's not just because of pandemic. This is these are technologies that somebody very clever is applying in the art world. And it is something that time has come. Anybody else wanna make a comment on Lynn's uh, comments? Jason or Lucy? We good? We good? I love I loved her comment. It was fabulous. It, it was absolutely. And Lynn, you just described it so beautifully. Thank you. We were there. We were there with you. Thank you. Uh, seeing <laughs> the process by having the glasses pull it apart for you, seeing the colors and the layers. It's like traveling into the artist's mind, isn't it? Into that beautiful part of creativity, collaboration, relationship. We're hitting a lot of good high points here. Let's move on. I have a couple more predictions. We have nine minutes left to the show. Let's see what we can cover. Lucy Marlowe said the following, prediction number two. Incredibly enough, she says, we already have an algorithm that can paint an original Rembrandt. Lucy believes it's a matter of time until we have algorithms as artists capable of painting different subjects. Lucy, why don't you expand this, unpack it for me, please? Uh, I was blown away when I learned a little while back that a fake Rembrandt was created by an algorithm. I am passionate about art and history of art, and it was just mind-blowing to say the least. Uh, the, the subject, brushstrokes, and the color of this painting all bear classic hallmarks of Rembrandt, but it's actually been designed by a computer and created by a 3D printer. With the help of several experts and 346 Rembrandt paintings digitized using 3D scans were analyzed by a deep learning algorithm. The algorithm isolated common Rembrandt subject to create the most consistent subject. A white middle-aged man with facial hair wearing black clothes with a white collar and hat. The final painting contains over 148 million pixels and 150 GB of rendered data. That is incredible to me. So the future looks very exciting to say the least. 
Thank you, Lucy. That was great. Good, good to know. And algorithms are, whether we know it or not, all of the AI, the chatbots, the machine learning, things we do every day, algorithms are built in. We won't get into bias of the algorithm creators. That's another whole other subject for a different show. I'm moving on. Let's see if we can cover a few more predictions. Jason Horsch sent me the following. Jason, number three, you say digital art media will enter major art collections and gain wide acceptance among a broad audience. All I can say is, Wow. Seriously, are we seeing that yet? And, and where is this happening? Jason? Yeah, um, and it, it reaches into um, what Lynn was talking about um, and, and Lucy, that um, there's just this, this fusion of different media, um, traditional media, but also digital media. And, and um, I always, as I'm, I'm looking around the art market and seeing what's happening, um, if you hear someone saying, that's not art, that's usually a pretty good sign that it's going to be the next most important phase of art. And I think that um, uh, we're seeing that with artists who are moving uh, from a physical media to use um, their computers and other technology as the sole um, platform for creating their artwork. It's their palette. It's their canvas. Um, the artwork is, is created in, in pixels. And, um, and, and we're seeing very interesting ways that these artists are sharing that artwork. Um, and, and, you know, it's not just necessarily a digital painting, but it could be uh, mixed media and multiple layers and, and experiential. Um, and I think we're going to start seeing galleries showing that work. We're already seeing it in museums, and we're going to start seeing it going into major collections. And so, um, you know, in some ways, um, digital artist has had a little bit of a stigma to it. And I think that uh, goes away during the next generation. And we, and we just see that that is another art form that is just as widely accepted as oil painting or, or bronze sculpting or any other media. Thank you very much. Very optimistic. There are all kinds of digital art, like sketchbook you can do on an iPad where you can use a stylus or your finger. I've used that, and the results are very exciting for somebody who was not an artist at all. Really exciting. And I use some as my actually my background art on, on my desktop here. Uh, Philip Payne, let's go very quickly. We've got four minutes left till the end of the show. I want to squeeze in one more prediction from you and maybe one from Lynn. Philip, number three. Artists will begin to emerge in sculpture that have a huge impact, reimagining the role sculpture plays in our communities and personal collections. Why don't you take 60 seconds with that one, Philip? What do you see? So I think uh, in the news, we certainly see that communities are developing more and more um, opinions about what role sculptures and the aesthetics of the community should be. Um, and we can kind of see how it can be pushed in one direction or another. So artists are going to really need to re-emerge and say, let's create these things that have these beautiful, positive messages. Let's create art that brings us together. Let's create art that starts conversations and in very positive ways, as opposed to it just being historical references and things like that. It's gonna be very forward thinking. And the artists that are willing to put themselves out there and create that type of art are going to be embraced more and more by the public. Thank you. I like the optimism. Embraced more and more. That's good. Lynn Marks, I can give you about 60 seconds for prediction number three, you say. And this is, I think this is a nice capping off to everything we've been talking about, Lynn. Your prediction is in the future. We can expect these changes even more as we explore the intersection of creativity and technology. Lynn, 60 seconds. Expand us for me, please, very quickly. Well, <clears throat> this is uh, something I think will become so pure the overlap 
will will not be novel anymore. It'll it'll become really pure. It's not going to have that novelty aspect to it. Um, sometimes it starts as something fun and you know easy to digest. And and also I kind of wanted to make a comment uh, quickly about the digital art. Um, the Getty Center, which has a ph- phenomenal photography department, that is a big strength of theirs. And um, they only accepted silver gelatin process. Well, I have a friend who is a photographer artist, and they accepted one of his digital photos. It's in their permanent collection, and that was shocking. It's uh, Andy Warhol standing in a soup can, a Campbell soup can, and it's digital, and they have it in their collection. So for them to accept a digital photo is, yes, (laughs) things are happening. Um, and and I do think that this is going to continue for artists, and I think it's a a good thing for all of us. And um, I I like those relationships, you know, because um, it it's not linear anymore. Now we're expanding, and you know, and it's transcending, you know, relationships uh, as well. So um, I, you, I think it's going to be really exciting in the future. Thank you. Your your vision has been wonderful. We're sorry we couldn't see you here on Zoom, but your voice added such great value to the show. We're so happy you persisted and connected. I want to say thank you to Dr. Lucy Marla. Lucy, smile. There she is. <laughs> Lucy put together this wonderful panel. I know she only handpicked people to come on my show who she knew would add a lot of value and, and were very savvy and astute and, and invested in this world of technology and art. And I'm very, very honored that you've all taken time out of your busy art lives to join me here. Jason Horsch, thank you so much. Thanks, Phil- Bonnie. Oh, thank you. Philip Payne, wonderful. I love the way you kept moving your camera around. We saw all different parts of your office, your gallery. I don't get tired. <laughs> it was a movable feast. I loved it. First, we looked at the left, then we looked at the right. Lynn Marks, you're a trooper. You're a champion. You just kept going until you got a connection here. And we wish we could have seen your beautiful face on Zoom, but I saw you before. And thank you so much for joining us. And Let's have a round of applause for Lucy Marlowe for putting this panel oh, together. Thanks, Lucy. Lucy. Thank you so much. Really, really rock this. So I want to say thank you, Bonnie. Oh, there's a dog. There's a puppy. I want to say thank you very much to to our engineer extraordinaire, Aaron Keller, the man with the patience of a person three times his age. He's only 12. Now I'm only joking. I think he's a little older than that. And Ryan Treasure, my co-producer. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thanks for tuning in to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Remember, remember, the future of now did not happen yet. We're all a part of making it happen. And darn it, let's make it the best one ever. Everybody wave bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. 